Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey Archons, welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. Some people call me Alex. I'm joined this week, as I am always, by my coach, my pal, my Keyforge compadre, a person that I have not seen live and in person for months now, and I cannot wait till we can sit down and actually jam a face-to-face game again, hopefully sometime soon. It's Coach Villabard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, man. How's it going? Man, I, I was just thinking about that today, how much I miss our group getting together to play Keyforge. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to dwell on sort of the the idea that we're still probably a ways off from having like our, our community back up and running the way it was before all of this went down. But uh, it's going to be a joyous day when you and me and Rick and, and the rest of our crew can all get together and play Keyforge together face to face. I'm so psyched for that day. There's there's a LGS uh, that actually has set up plexiglass down the middle of the table, so I'm I'm trying to reach out to a few people, and maybe we will get to play soon. Man, that would be amazing. I am all for you know, every safety precaution, social distancing, whatever else. If we can make that work and still get to play some KeyForge, then I'm all for it. I saw it today. It's like it's like a little plexiglass voting booth is what you're kind of in playing, which is pretty cool. <laughs> It's really cool that the store made the effort to set that up, though. Yeah. Like, that's a non-zero amount of effort to make that a reality. Yeah, so very soon. Stay tuned, folks. When you are hearing this episode, it will be approximately a month until the release of uh, Mass Mutation. We're going to be continuing to talk about Mass Mutation in the lead-up to the episode, but we figured that we were actually going to, to mash in another topic here, and it's one that I've been wanting to talk about for a little while, because we have never done a fully- artifact-centric episode. Um, Blake and I are both big fans of artifacts. We both have mm-hmm. decks that rely heavily on certain artifacts and artifact combinations. And I think we're both players who see the value of artifacts as both support for your uh, uh, other cards in your deck, as well as cards that you could sort of build around having from turn one. And so uh, we came up with sort of some ideas of how we're going to discuss this, but we thought, why not also talk about mass mutation and talk about the artifacts that are in mass mutation. So we're going to be talking about some new artifacts in each house. We're also going to be talking about some old artifacts that are being brought back for this set that are going to be in each house. So we've each basically picked an artifact in each house. We're going to be talking a little bit about what each one of those is and sort of how they factor into sort of our broader philosophy of uh, of artifacts, if you will. Yeah, I I noticed going over this that... uh, my play style lately with a lot of decks is they're revolving around certain artifacts. And I notice when I'm looking at Archon cards, one of the very first things I look for is do they have some form of artifact control? Mm. I notice it's been like a go-to look amongst anything else. Like it seems to me right now I'm going like, what's the artifact control? And then what is the burst control? Is there too much to protect? Interdimensional graphs, all those things that can burn you for bursting. Uh, that's kind of been my my one and two when I'm examining an Archon card as of late. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we were talking last week just a little bit about all of the different ways that the new set is bringing about artifact control, new forms of artifact control that we haven't seen before. And I think that's really an acknowledgement of the fact that there's, I don't want to call it a problem, 
but a lot of otherwise competitive decks don't have good artifact control, and that means they are absolutely vulnerable to getting smushed by certain artifact-dependent decks, whether that be the old Grump Buggy styles, whether that be Quixelstone, a little bit more about that later, sneak preview, um, or other archetypes. So it's definitely a thing that I think is coming into its own and certainly I think is, is evolving with Mass Mutation, and I'm really excited to see that because I love a good artifact-based deck. Amen. So uh, naturally, sort of, uh, there's a sort of a category for each of the artifacts, and kind of like creatures or actions, they all have sort of like little categories you can fit them in. And the ones we came up with are pretty straightforward. We've got artifacts with symmetrical effects, meaning you put it down in the board and it impacts both players. You've got artifacts with asymmetrical effects, meaning you put it down on the board, it only affects either yourself or your opponent. And we've got artifacts with actions, that also includes those that are omni, and, uh, you know, that pretty much speaks for itself. Kind of like having a, a creature that has a Reaper, a player in action, except that uh, always with an action, with an artifact, since uh, they can't fight or reap. So uh, that's kind of how we're going to be categorizing these. And uh, Blake and I just chose one artifact from each house each that we wanted to discuss. And we'll probably be discussing how they factor into each of those things and things to watch out for when you're playing them. So why don't we get things started? Uh, let's do Dis, very first of all, what was your dis pick for an artifact to talk about, Blake? I went with one that is a, I think, one that everyone cheered for when they saw was returning from the Coda days, and that is Screaming Cave. Woo! It's such a good card, and it it has an action ability of shuffle your hand and discard pile into your deck. Uh, This is one of those, those cards that it can really, really cause you to cycle and get back key things that you burn, because... There's a lot of times when you're playing the game of Keyforge that you see someone play something and then you go, okay, nice, that's in their discard now, I don't have to worry about it anymore. And then it now allows you to kind of move forward with a game plan, usually in the form of a burst, I feel like is is a Mm -hmm. big one. But now causing that to all go back and do that, that um, that's pretty gross. And if you got like a subpar hand as well, you can just play out what's necessary and then shuffle the rest back in and get a, a fresh one at the end of the turn. So It's such a versatile card and it helps with, it doesn't help you churn through your deck, but it helps you keep the good times coming, basically, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most interesting things about Screaming Cave is that there's no penalty for using its power. It just it, It's calling dis turn over turn to be able to do it. And if you have a deck that is rich with good dis actions, then you're laughing with this thing because it's just going to keep bringing them back to you. Um, I think the big thing to watch out for is I've seen a couple of times people use Screaming Cave in a way where they keep calling dis so that they can uh, use Screaming Cave. And instead of actually digging for stuff that they could use within their deck they're just kind of randomly hoping that it'll come in one of their redraws with the screaming cave and occasionally that has led to them having a lot of subpar turns sometimes frequently in a row so you still have to be a bit judicious with it but you're absolutely right it is a ridiculously good card in what it allows you to do one other thing that is was kind of not really a thing in the coda era that is now is the ability to purge so you have the ability to actually thin your own deck and then you Screaming Cave, which could be, I think, something that could be uh, in certain builds or builds, certain certain uh, deck compositions. What are we building decks here? Um, <laughs> you're you're going to have that ability to kind of almost craft what's left in your deck. So when you are cycling through it again, it's going to be really interesting. And I'm very curious to see some decks like that. Yeah. Uh, the dis artifact that I chose is a brand new one. It's called the Pale Star 
Omni effect. Destroy the pale star. For the remainder of the turn, each creature is considered to have one power and zero armor. Love it. Here's the great value of the pale star. Obviously, that's a good and useful power. It's going to result in you having a lot of trades for your creatures, for your opponent's creatures. But it is the threat of the pale star on the table that I think creates interesting game states. If you get that pale star down on the table, especially in an early turn, your opponent has to be constantly be thinking about, do I invest in my board in any way, shape, or form, knowing that there could be a selective wiping out on my opponent's turn? For example, easy enough for me to hit uh, the pale star and only take out a few select targets that I need to and leave the rest of my creatures alive for their following turn, uh, Basically, it's it's a way of deterring your opponent from playing their creatures out onto their board in the way that they may have planned to. And that's what I think the most interesting thing about it. I love Omni Effect artifacts and especially Omni Effect artifacts that create these kinds of game states because just the Pale Star being on the board means that a smart player has to think about when that's going to happen. Is it worth it for them to exalt? Is it worth it for them to capture? It is a deterrent and it makes people think differently. And that's my favorite kind of key forge card. Yeah, if you have something like um, Red Alert and you just have like a one creature difference, like it could be absolutely devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't even actually thought about that, but Red Alert plus an Omni Effect Pale Star, that is ridiculous and cool. Let's move on to Logos. What have you got, B? So for my Logos pick, uh, I chose... The auto encoder, and it's a asymmetrical passive effect that says after a card is discarded from your hand, archive the top card of your deck. There is a lot of ways you can discard, I feel, in this in this set. Like discarding seems to be more of a theme. And so that is just a great way that you're gonna get to archive the top card of your deck, build that archive up. We're seeing more of that exist in logos. So They're really taking on that mantle of the archiving house in mass mutation so i just like that and if someone is going to be making you discard a random card from your hand then you're getting something archived so it also creates that proposition of is it worth it to make them randomly discard something knowing they're going to have some ammunition for later great pick i really dig it um i also really just like the fact that there is a ton of archive cards like Mobius Scroll in this set that create those kinds of like a little bit of value later. I'm planning ahead. I'm creating more value for myself down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that I picked here is the Howling Pit. And I picked it specifically because one, it's cool that it's coming back. It only appeared in Coda. And two, because it's one of the interesting cases of a symmetrical effect that both players gain advantage from and it gives me an opportunity to talk about one of the things that I think is interesting about that, which is the understanding how much of a benefit to your opponent that is and how much of a benefit to you it is. So if you are playing a high cycle deck, Howling Pit can be hugely beneficial to you. That extra card in the hand makes it worth it for you to your opponent to also get that advantage because you understand the Howling Pit is an effect and you understand if your deck benefits from it and how much your deck benefits from it. It may not be a thing that your opponent's deck has ever played against. They may not understand exactly what they get from the Howling Pit, then you might understand that better. Obviously, it's a pretty simple effect that both people are going to benefit from in the vast majority of cases, but I still feel like there's room for understanding 
what a symmetrical effect does amongst the players and you to take advantage of that by knowing specifically how much faster your game plan gets up and running when you have that one card advantage. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because you're you're right about it's basically going to make both of you go through your decks faster. So it, sometimes you got to ask yourself the question is, I mean, I don't think there's ever a time you don't play it. That's that's the funny thing. Mm-hmm. It's like regardless of of the proposition and and bringing that question up, I think there you always are going to play it regardless. I mean, you're just both because you're it's it's almost like you're just starting the same, just more options. That's that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's move on to they're back in town, the boys, Thin Lizzy style. It's Sanctum. What have you got for a Sanctum artifact? I chose the Orb of Wonder, the one returning Ah, anomaly card. So the Orb of Wonder, as you may know, is an Omni destroy Orb of Wonder. If you do search your deck for a card and put it into your hand, shuffle your deck. It's the only true unlimited tutor card that exists. I love it so much. Yeah, you can choose it on any house. Um, it's it's fantastic. The one thing I will say about this is that you need to watch out for things like remote access, a nexus, any of those things like poltergeist, anything that they are going to get the effect. That is the thing when you have these Omni effects is it can actually be very detrimental when it's used and destroyed and you don't get it if your opponent happens to have something that can take advantage of that. So that's the one thing I always try and and uh, think about and for orb of wonder it's such a powerful effect mm-hmm. it would, i would really think twice about maybe playing that card if i haven't seen my opponent's uh poltergeist for example yeah um having played orb of wonder in one of my favorite uh decks uh from the current era i can say without question that it is a ridiculous enabler of broken combos like anytime you're playing a deck that has it you're essentially saying because it's an omni effect to use it um any degenerate like tribute into, you know, six semper or anything like that is enabled by it. And so any anything that you have in your deck that you need can be fetched up from it. So even where Nepenthe Seed required you to have already played the good card that you wanted to get back again, this is the one that lets you dig for anything and have it immediately for your use at any time. So it is insanely powerful and i'm very curious to see what crazy combos it's going to enable what what mm-hmm. rarity is that it is a rare it is a rare okay good i was going to say yeah. a common it would get real messy <laughs> less impressive is a brand new artifact but one that i wanted to bring out here because it's kind of unusual we've got Gizzleheart's standard it's a uh sanctum artifact you get one pip of amber for playing it which i'm always a big fan of and it says each friendly creature with amber on it gains plus one armor fine okay that's an okay power it's very thematic and in in uh going with sanctum strengths and the kind of things that you expect to see amongst sanctum cards a little bit of extra armor uh enabling a little bit of extra protection around your capture but it also has a play effect which is exalt a friendly creature and i like that this isn't going to be like the game changer card in most games but at a pip of amber for playing it a little bit of extra, you know, exaltation on your table, plus a little bit of extra protection for your guys. That's just good utility, you know? I, I don't know that I would ever want to see more than one of these in a deck, and undoubtedly there's going to be other Sanctum cards that you would rather see, but just as a thing that you can throw down that provides you with value and that feeds into your other Sanctum card strengths, I kind of like that. I'd actually would love to see this in multiples. Oh, yeah? Because they're going to stack then. Mm. which is going to be really powerful. And I mean, if you get a Sanctum Saurian deck with this, like that is seriously going to be gross. Like you're going to have some creatures with four or five armor as a result, potentially. 
yeah. especially if you get double. Like I would love to see like two or three of these because you're getting a pip of ember for it. I think it actually holds. If there was no ember, I would agree. I don't want to see multiples, but no matter what you're getting ember for playing it and it's protecting your exalted creatures to a degree from direct damage. So I do really like this card and I think it's going to be very powerful. Like I said, in the Saurian Sanctum um, lineups. Sorium Sanctum is going to be like the 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 king of the hill for just capture and denial. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really yeah. gross when we see those decks in action. Speaking of the Saurians, what do you got for a Saurian artifact? This one I thought was super interesting. It's called Curiosaurus, and it has <laughs> a uh, symmetrical effect that says each creature with ember on it gains destroyed. Move one ember from this creature to the most powerful enemy creature. So you get to move your ember onto their creatures and then you can get it like get it back basically so it makes them not want to destroy your creatures because then the ember just suddenly doesn't go to them it goes onto their own creatures and you have to deal with so i think it's really neat yeah there's a lot of actually really funky new artifacts in saurian in this set like there's all those monument cards that have a power that is enhanced by having the thing that it's a monument to in your discard pile so if you've got Monument to Ludo, so if Prefectus Ludo's in your discard pile, it enhances the power of Monument to Ludo when you do the action. Yeah, um, yeah that's cool. I want to talk a little bit about what I think is one of the most interesting and perhaps undervalued Saurian artifacts uh, when it comes to talking about things that we've already seen that already exist within the game, and that's Imperial Road. If you're unfamiliar, Imperial Road is an amazingly good cheat Um for house cheating and what it is is omni effect play a saurian creature that creature enters play stunned so leaving aside the fact that there's numerous saurian creatures that already enter the game stunned you know your your big bodies are already going to come out there stunned we're talking about a thing that allows you to get value out of play effects on any single turn yeah you know your shricks might come out stunned but you can still use Shrix's power right away, um, as well as various other cards like that. And I really dig that because it is a method of house cheating that has a risk-reward with it. If I throw down this card, okay, fine, it's coming in stunned. I might not get to use it, but its play power might be there for me. Or I might just get another card out of my hand in order to be able to refill to more cards on my next turn. It provides a ton of value, and the drawback, the creature comes in stunned, is one that can arguably be not much of a drawback at all if you weren't planning to use that card for anything specific over the course of the next couple of turns. Um, I always really dig it. I like seeing it in decks, and honestly, I think it's one that people sort of underrate because of the stun drawback, while at the same time thinking about, like, gosh, just being able to play a Saurian creature on any turn, if that creature has a play effect, you're getting that value, and you're just getting a card out of your hand as well. Great value. Oh, yeah. All right. One of my absolute favorite houses for artifacts. I had a real hard time picking for this one. What did you go with for Star Alliance? I went with the new kid on the block from this list, and that's uh, Mattermaker. Oh. Which I think is going to be such a game changer. And it states you get a pip of ember for playing it. And it says you may play upgrades as if they were in the active house. Which basically means every turn if you have an upgrade in hand, you can play it. That is ridiculously good. I can't believe this gets a pip of amber. That's insane to me. Like it yeah. just seems like such an instant crazy good value. Not in every deck because not every deck is going to have the upgrades to really take advantage of it. But some decks are going to be out of control with it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, match that up with Transporter Platform, which is also coming back in this set, and you're going to see some real yeah. business. Um, I went with a card that I could record an entire episode about, Quixelstone, 
Uh, if you don't know Quixel Stone, uh, you probably haven't had a lot of uh, very frustrating games of Keyforge because it can lead to those. Um, one pip of amber for playing the Quixel Stone. If a player has more creatures in play than their opponent, they cannot play creatures. So this feeds back into my understanding your deck with symmetrical artifact effects uh, a point from earlier when I was talking a little bit about the Howling Pit. Quixel Stone is that, um, you know, uh, times a thousand because there are certain decks where your Quixel Stone will always be a discard. You're going to pull it and you're going to have 28 creatures and you're going to think, all I'm going to end up with is dead hands if I put this thing on the table. I got to get rid of it. I got to archive it. I got to throw it into my discard. I got to get rid of it right away. On the other hand, you're also going to have decks in which Quixel Stone is going to be incredible for you. We're talking about low creature count, high actions, maybe high artifacts that help you take advantage of your low creature count. And those are the decks that Quixel Stone really shines in because it is such a thing that puts other people off of their game. It creates game states that people, unless they have played Quixel Stone or played against Quixel Stone, don't understand how to play against. So if you find a deck that has Quixel Stone in it and you understand how to play when you've got Quixel Stone on the table, you have a huge advantage over a large number of your opponents because unless they truly understand and in fact are playing a deck that can play to that style, they're going to be stymied in what they can do. They're going to end up with hands full of creatures that they can't play um, and they're going to keep trying to sort of just go with a regular game plan, but with a limited number of tools that they have access to, it, it can make some very frustrating games and some very interesting game states as well. I'm a huge fan of this card. I've played a lot of really good Quixel Stone decks, and more often than not, what I find is the people who do well against them are the people who've put in the time on playing them. So it's one of those symmetrical effects that I cannot recommend like playing with enough because you absolutely have the potential to get wrecked if you don't understand how to get around it. It also makes the case for bringing something with artifact control to the table if you're playing in a competitive environment. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, this goes with a lot of things like Heart of the Forest, you have Quixel Stone, you have Fangtooth Cavern, uh, those those types of decks, even, even Soul Snatcher, all those ones where into, once you know how to play it, when your opponent drops it, sometimes you actually will start laughing because they're like, oh, I know exactly how to play this. And you just mm -hmm. start playing the game now in the style that dictates uh, is dictated by that card. And you, and you can actually really hose your opponent. And as a result, I actually find that these cards, they lose their impact over time because then everyone has more experience playing them. And therefore, that wow factor of them being on their own doesn't work as well. It's more like if you have a deck that really caters, like you said, high ember pips low um low creature but high ember pips and action cards it can really be to your um, advantage at that point i'm super excited to see how quixel stone interacts with enhanced mechanic whether mm -hmm. or not we're going to start to see way more value out of some other cards some other actions some other artifacts that get extra pips on them for various things that quixel card draw stone... damage all that sort of stuff exactly exactly like you I could have it where quixel stone's out and you're tied for creatures right now, but one of your creatures is like, they, it served its purpose and you have a damage on something and you play it and then you just destroy your own creature. So now that you're no longer tied on creatures, you're down one. Like that's that's a great Quixel Stone tactic is you actually make sure you're down a creature and you leave your opponent with whatever creatures they have. They could be subpar. You leave them with that and they can't play it. Like there's a few games I've won where I put no creatures on the board in a Quixel Stone. And then I knew my opponent had Ronnie as their main way of like left to steal my Ember. And I mm -hmm. just, you can't play Ronnie. Therefore you can't steal from me. Have fun taking me off check. 
one of my sneakiest worst tricks, not to turn this into the Quixel cast, is uh, in my favorite Quixel stone deck. Uh, it also has Obsidian Forge, and I make a habit of killing my board back down with Obsidian Forge to make sure that my opponent always has more creatures than me so they can't play creatures on their turn. It is Ooh, an insanely, like insanely frustrating thing to do to an opponent. Uh, moving on, let's talk a little bit about House Shadows, who have a history of interesting artifacts, I think. I think they have the most in Mass Mutations, actually, as well. Really? Let's have a look. Yeah, looking at it. Um, so for me, I chose a classic artifact, and that is Master Plan. Oh. Yeah, so good. You get a pip of ember for playing it, and it says, put a card from your hand face down under Master Plan, and then it has an omni effect of play the card under Master Plan, destroy Master Plan. This this card is just so good. It's it's like an archive, except you don't have to call the house to play it. It's just there waiting for you to use. Again, it falls victim to, if you're not careful, a poltergeist or something could use this against you. Mm-hmm. And in which case, sometimes it's good to put a dud underneath there just as a bait and actually allow yourself more card draw. That's, that's a, a fun tactic or something that you don't care about. So if it does get used against you, it's not a big deal. And um, if not, then you have the advantage of that card. But I love this card. It's it's just extra cycle, extra card draw on a turn. Like it's it's not a bad turn one play, I think. It's also one of the ones that I never really understood the value of because I never had a deck that had some really great ways to use it. But because it has an Omni effect to play the card underneath it, Back in the day, you would see people who would do clever things in the Coda era with Master Plan, like putting their library access under it so that whenever they had a turn where they had a large number of uh, like cards of a single house in hand, then they blew the Master Plan to play the library access and then get that value. Or if they had a creature that was really central to their strategy, they would put like a regrowth or something like that underneath Master Plan so they always had a way of accessing a thing to bring their thing back. It has a great deal of utility. And it's funny too, because for years it was just kind of a meh card. And then I suddenly clicked with me that in the right deck with the right kinds of actions, it can be absolutely fantastic. Um, You can even throw good play effect creatures underneath it um, that have things like raising key costs and stuff like that to get a lot of value at it. Great card. Yeah, I, I use it in my like my deck with three Control of the Weeks has it, and it's Control of the Week is always a candidate to go underneath there so I can play it during any turn. So what we got here is, I think, a really fun one. Shadows Artifact, brand new for this set, Mass Mutation. It's called Doom Sigil. Here's the deal with Doom Sigil. It's a symmetrical effect. Each creature gains poison. If there are no creatures in play, destroy Doom Sigil. So this is basically creating a game state where it is possible for underpowered creatures to still take out big opposing creatures. Armor is going to be the only thing that keeps this from happening, or I guess elusive for that matter. So armor and elusive are your things that are going to obviate this. But Doom Sigil, for the most part, is creating a game state where almost any creature, barring having a huge amount of armor or being elusive, can be taken out very easily. And that's interesting to me because it factors into what we were just talking about with Quixelstone. You create a game state that you understand, that your opponent may not understand unless they have experience playing with or against the card. And if you understand what you can do with it, your opponent doesn't, then you can take advantage of their play areas. You put this down and suddenly they put down a creature with Exalt or with Capture or with some other play effect that they're depending on. You understand instantly how easy it is to be able to get rid of that. If you've got uh, lots of creatures with armor or lots of creatures with elusive, you understand you can put down Doom Sigil and rely on those things to help your creatures survive these kinds of fights. So 
I think the other interesting aspect of this, besides creating sort of an interesting game state, is the fact that it has the if there are no creatures in play, destroy Doom Sigil kicker, which gives people the opportunity to get rid of this thing through sacrifice. If I can get rid of all your creatures and I send my last guy against your last guy or I use some other effect to get rid of one of my last guys, I can take this thing off the board. You can use that in a positive way if you're the one who's playing Doom Sigil. All right, I've done everything I needed to do with this. Now I want it off the board so that I don't have to worry about poison affecting my guys. Or you can use it uh, against your opponent who plays Doom Sigil. I'll sacrifice all of my guys and take out all my opponent's guys to get rid of this thing. Good card. Lots of fun. Well, it's basically, like you said, armor is the only thing that's going to stop both creatures from dying no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be like you just sacrifice one after the other. So it's the interesting thing is I think the three powered creatures are going to be the sweet spot where they're not super big and they're still going to be able to take out big targets. So the really big creatures don't feel as powerful. And I think that really caters to shadows with the, the power level. And then things that have no armor, you could have just your twos and one power creatures just taking out bombs all day, which is going to be um, really interesting. So I, I think there's going to be some decks that this really creates like a, a wow factor. And you're going to have these little minuscule powered creatures just wrecking the board, which is going to be a lot of fun to see. I cannot wait to see this paired with uh, some some decent skirmish effects because that's going to be absolutely murderous. Oh, as yeah. We saw with Moon Cursor way back in the Coda era. Mm-hmm. Was Moon Cursor ever a must kill for you? It was pretty much always a must kill for me in most decks that I played. Uh, I have it in a deck, and for some reason, people ignore that card like nobody's business. Weird. It's so deadly. I think it's because of the direct damage ability to kill it. You don't think to kill it, but it's like because it's. It, I guess it feels bad to to sacrifice uh, a creature to a one power. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're. I've I've used it to great effect on uh, the pterodactyl twelve power going down to Ugh. just a one power skirmish. <laughs> All right. Uh, lastly, let's move to a house that has, I, I guess we could call it a checkered history with artifacts. What do you got for Untamed? It's funny that we go from shadows with the most to Untamed with the least. Um, this one was a harder harder pick for me, but I ended up going with uh, Ritual of the Hunt because uh, I don't think this has been back since the early days. And it has an Omni effect of Destroy Ritual of the Hunt, and for the remainder of the turn, you may use friendly Untamed Creatures. I think now the abilities that exist with untamed creatures makes this a little bit more interesting than, uh, well, I mean, obviously, Witch of the Eye always existed, but now we have some more interesting propositions with the untamed creature lineup. So I think this could be a very unique and very interesting and powerful card to have available at your disposal now in Mass Mutations. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um it's also one of the ones that I always wonder about when I'm looking at it from a design standpoint, like what the the scenario that game, like uh, what was pictured by the game designers when they came up with it? Because there was a couple of cards that have similar effects um, around mm-hmm. in the Coda era, you know, either that would allow all friendly creatures to fight or you allow Sigil of Brotherhood, I believe, in Sanctum would allow you to use your Sanctum guys yeah. on a turn. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this is going to work with uh, the untamed creatures in this set. Um, I just think it's weird that I feel like there should be an artifact that exists that does this exact effect you can use. Because there's one for Sanctum, there's one for Untamed. Mm-hmm. I think Brobnar has one, but it's only for fighting. Um, which, of course, that makes sense. Why would you not give them... Let's let's just make this a little bit worse than the other ones. That seems to be the Brobnar formula right now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just think that it should be something that exists for every house in one way or another. Because it seems like a thematic artifact that has potential to exist in all houses. 
I'm going with the, I think, only brand new untamed artifact in this set, or at least untamed exclusive artifact, because Dark Amber Vault, I believe, appears in every single house. Yeah, um, Mushroom with a View is the brand new one. It's got a cute, uh, it's got a cute flavor text. Don't lick the roof unless you're planning to stay a while, says Dodger. <laughs> uh, little reference to something for, for some of y'all. Uh, you should get that fairly easily. But uh, I like this one because it actually goes against one of my commonly held beliefs. I am a firm believer that healing is bad in Keyforge, that game states are too volatile, that generally speaking, I would rather have any effect other than healing because healing very infrequently does anything of value for me. That said, Mushroom with a View has the Omni effect, heal one damage from each friendly creature. That's really cool because it is an Omni effect, meaning that every single turn you have Mushroom with a View on the table, you can use its power to create a little bit of healing. Now, for some creatures, that's not going to do nothing. For one power creatures, no value. Two power creatures, maybe they survive an extra turn if nobody directs any additional damage at them. But over turn, I see value in this because there's all kinds of game states that we've seen wherein you have just enough damage to take out your opponent's bomb creature. Um, this is going to be the thing that's going to enable your bombs to stay on the table longer. Um, and it's, you know, it's not always going to be guaranteed to do that. But the fact that you can do it every single turn creates a huge amount of extra value. If it was an action, it would be utterly useless because you'd only be able to use it on Untamed. And that one damage healing isn't going to do nothing for you. But being able to do this three turns in a row could create lots of interesting places where you create protection and value for your creatures and your battle line. So I dig it. I think it's fun. I love it. I've gotten to play with this in some of the print and play decks and it's really potent uh, on creatures that on decks that have creatures that have armor so sanctum for example because if like three damage is going across the board that means they like have two armors only one damage gets through and you're healing that it just really kind of like when you're trying to chip away at those armor and the armor keeps replenishing and you're only getting one or two damage through Mm. this really stymies that whole play of like trying to compound the damage turn after turn when you're negating it turn after turn as well it's 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 really powerful in that capacity terrific all right that is some artifact talk i'm sure there's going to be more mass mutation talk on the lead up to the release of the set and then just an absolute explosion of talk about it as we get our hands on our very first decks of our own but uh we're going a bit long here so we might as well move on to the titular segment this one's called help Help from future self Self. blake do you have one for us this week i do yes so I had an experience where I was playing uh, on a stream for the TCO tournament the other week, and um, people could see both of our hands, they knew, and and I had the unfortunate knowledge of my opponent having explained his whole deck to me ahead of time when we met in person, <laughs> and so I knew the plan, and as a result, I actually took a line of action that was not the most beneficial. What happened was, I had a pile of skulls out. I had a ton of captured ember across my creatures and all five powers except for a dust pixie. I had one dust pixie and I was holding a doorstep to heaven. So I was planning on using a spirit's way, wiping the board, giving my opponent who was already well in check all this captured embers so was no longer on the battlefield. And then I would just be like, perfect, I can doorstep all that away. The thing I forgot was... I was not paying attention to the fact that Dust Pixie was there. So literally, I wiped the board and just put a ton of Ember 
onto my dust pixie which is only a one power so then the doorstep to heaven now left my dust pixie with five ember on it still so it really hurt and me not seeing that one thing was a huge misplay so sometimes when you get those really wide battle lines and you're planning maybe these uh, quote unquote big brain plays you got to take into account for all the small things as well because that little dust pixie totally pwned me on that game and <laughs> as a result it just put the ability to just kill that creature and then in a great position so yeah that that was a real feels bad moment for me i could have taken a different route and not gone that sanctum route and just gone with my brobner lineup and captured still through pile of skulls through fighting and been in check and uh, taken the game from what I was told. So I didn't take into consideration all the small things because, like I said, wide battle lines, make sure you're aware of all the creatures that are there and what you're going to do, the effects of, of triggers that will happen because you can seriously get get hurt by that. All righty. You can find me on social media. I am Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and on Twitter. You can also find me under The Crucible under that name. Shouts out to everybody that I've been playing over the course of the last week, especially those of you who said that you're listening to the show. Much appreciated always. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's B-L-V-D Paper Fight, as well as um, on YouTube. Right now, my YouTube is not as Keyforge centric at the moment i'm uh, dabbling in my other games that i'm playing but i will be getting back into that very soon so i uh, hope to see you there all right Whew. another fun week of keyforge talk with keyforge pals i can't wait for the next one until then stay fortunate